What's up, guys? Lisa here. Just want to let you guys know that rating and reviewing this podcast means the absolute world to me. And to encourage it, I'm reading out weekly reviews. This review comes from Coco09. Thank you, Lisa Billu, for this podcast. I absolutely love it. I think you're so inspiring, and I really enjoyed the episode with Brenda Gilbert that I recently listened to. You women are truly amazing. And I happen to agree, Coco09. Brenda Gilbert is awesome. If you haven't checked it out, guys, you've got to go over and listen to it. In 1988, Oprah, on her daytime talk show, rolled out 67 pounds of fat on a wagon to celebrate her huge weight loss. But unless you were deserted on an island with Wilton, you would have since seen her weight struggles. Now, when I was younger, I didn't get it. I didn't get how someone who could afford a private chef and a personal trainer could still have weight issues and, as a result, health issues. Well, as an adult and having to deal with my own severe gut health issues for four years now, I realized that health and self-care actually has very little to do with money and access to resources. These days, you can open up YouTube for free and there's an abundance of videos, knowledge and advice on health. But then why is the obesity rate still climbing? Why are there over 30 million people in the US alone that suffer from one type of eating disorder or another? Why is one person every 62 minutes, think about that, one person almost every hour is dying as a direct result from an eating disorder? Well, I really wanted to explore these questions and issues. And so today I wanted to do a different kind of show. I wanted to bring on women who are impacting the health, wellness and fitness space to discuss not just the misconceptions we have about health, weight loss and diet, but also to explore the psychology and mindset behind why it's still such a common struggle for so many of us. And well, if you're watching this, then it means you do want to become the hero of your own life. So please do subscribe to this channel as well as share it with other women so you can impact them as well. Okay, so first up, I'd like to introduce to you Beth Manos Bricky, a certified national therapy practitioner, yoga instructor, mindfulness teacher, and founder of the immensely popular Tasty Yummies. This woman of impact is showing us how to listen to our own bodies, how to eat intuitively, and how to live without labels. Next up, the indomitable Jen Curran, author of three smash hit books, including Strong is the New Skinny, co-founder of the number one ranked fitness app on Apple, CEO of the wellness brand No Gym Required, a high performance coach, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and as if that wasn't a long enough resume, she is the founder and host of the smash hit podcast Habits and Hustle. And finally, the life-size action figure herself, Heidi Powell. (laughs) For years, Tom and I would watch her and her husband change lives on the smash hit CBS show Extreme Weight Loss. Running for five seasons, this wasn't your usual get fit quick show. It followed people who were truly struggling with their weight and mental wellness and really and compassionately showed the realities behind developing a permanent lifestyle change. Having suffered from an eating disorder herself, the psychology of eating was something she was only too familiar with. So guys, welcome to a very special edition of Women of Impact. Welcome, ladies, to the show. Thank you. There's so much to talk about. Jen, I have a a quote from you, Uh actually. Not everyone can be skinny, but everyone can be strong. Yes. So I want to talk about misconceptions and why we all think that skinny is what like everyone's supposed to be and people struggle so much to try and be skinny. But the truth is, like you said, not everyone can be. Absolutely. You know, I still, I, I, I said that for, for years because I thought, you know, things have actually evolved a lot, but 
for years, we, we looked at Us Weekly, magazines, celebrities, and we always aspire to be, let's say, their body type. When, we are like, when, when you're 5'2", and you're looking at Giselle to be her, mm-hmm. it's just something that's not realistic, and yet that would cause psychological trauma, actually. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to put out a message, and I wanted there to be something, a platform where, you know, to change the conversation, because the truth of the matter is, you have to be realistic with who you are and what your body type is. And you try to make the best version of yourselves. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, I don't want people to always try to aspire to something that is not attainable. So change that conversation and, and not look at, hmm, I want to be skinnier. If I'm a size four, I want to be a two. If I'm a two, I want to be a zero. Because that is something that's not attainable. But what is attainable is everybody, no matter where you are in your fitness <laughs> regimen, and your health regimen, you can be stronger. And that helps with mental mindset of once you achieve something even a little bit, mm-hmm. that will progress you and make you motivated to even keep on going. But even with so much now about body positivity and about body, body image changing a lot, it used to be that that twiggy looking mm-hmm. body type was like the, the body type to be. And then JLo came out and she was much more voluptuous and curvaceous or with her butt. And that became much more now like a different body type that people are trying to aspire to. So you see an evolution in, in trends. Um, but at the same time, what I find very interesting is no matter with that still happening, I still think the mindset of most women is to be skinnier, mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter how many people put out that message of like aiming for a, a goal that's, that's attainable or having these, these different body types. It doesn't seem to really kind of penetrate deeply enough where people are still like, and even me, you know, and I'm like, oh, I've gained five pounds or, oh, I ate too much. I still psychologically beat myself up. So no matter how much work is being done, there's so much more that needs to be done. I'm so glad you brought up the psychology because I think ultimately it does come down to that, right? At the end of the day, if I locked you in a room and only fed you chicken breast and broccoli, you would cry. (laughs) 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 Apart from the fact that you get utterly depressed, um, would you lose weight? Yes, but A, it wouldn't necessarily be sustainable. Your emotions, like forget about all of that. Even someone like you that's so accomplished in this space, sees the five pounds and then worries, oh God, I've put on the five pounds. Um, And I know you, Heidi, actually, you told the story about how you were counting your calories and you couldn't get the physique you wanted and you actually were told you had to put on, you had to eat more calories. Um, How did you, going back to what she was saying of like the worry and the fear of putting on the weight and it's like, you know, surely calories in equals, you know, more. Yep, yep. We are programmed from a very young age. Like I remember seeing Twiggy. I remember seeing all the models on, you know, my mom's Victoria's Secret magazines or whatever it was, like all these skinny people walking down runways. And in my mind, I thought, I saw my mom, who was this skinny, fit, strong person. And in my mind, I thought I needed to be her. I never stopped to ask myself why. Um, But I think if people stopped and actually said, Kate, why is it that I want to be skinny? What am I looking for? And if you have that goal and you think when I get here, no matter if it's to be skinny, no matter if it's to be stronger, no matter if it's to run a marathon, it doesn't matter what your goal is. We can't fall into this trap of lottery syndrome. Like when I get there, (laughs) then I'm going to be happy because it's not true. Because yes, I achieved skinny, but I was miserable. Like I got to 89 pounds. I never saw myself as oh, that. Wow. Yeah. Even, even in my quest to gain weight, like my quest to put on muscle and to compete and be, feel fitter. I thought my goal was to win 
<clears throat> but at the end of the day, I, I had to sit down with myself and say, what is my goal? My goal is to love myself, like after layers. I, I, wanna, I wanna feel accomplished, I wanna feel healthy, I don't wanna feel trapped by food, I don't wanna feel, I listed all these things. Well, why does all of that matter to me? Why did I care when I was younger to be skinny? Well, I felt like I needed to live up to a certain standard or a certain bar because if I was that, then I would be loved and accepted by society and I would be enough for my dad mm. and I would be good enough for my mom and all these different things. And so it's when people, no matter what your goal is, it's really, really important to identify and to know that at the end of the day, what I really want is to be enough I, or whatever it is for you. But it usually boils down to that and, and to be loved. And then that goal is so much easier, not only easier to reach, but you begin to love yourself on the way because you're never going to love yourself when you get there. You know what I find mm -hmm. interesting though? I think people say that, I mean, that like it's all about like loving yourself, yeah. but then there's no real tactile ways to do that. And that's why structure, I think sometimes is really important for people yeah. and like reframing the way you look at something. So like, it sounds crazy, but like you have to actually speak to yourself in your head, yes. you know, like sometimes you can like look like a nut job, but the, you have to have like actually tactile things, practical input, like things that you can apply beyond like a big, uh, then like a, an umbrella of like loving yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point and everything you were speaking about, I think there's a lot of pressure on us to be good enough, which I think in and of itself can be a little damaging at times. But I also think what I found throughout my own healing journey and my own self-love journey is that I kept feeling like when I didn't get self-love right, when I had nothing mm -hmm. to measure it to, mm -hmm. when I felt like there wasn't enough self-love because I could look in the mirror and say, how hard do I have to work to get rid of the cellulite? It's not fair. Why do I still have cellulite? And I started to realize that we put so much emphasis on this self-love and what it really comes down to is acceptance. I don't have to yes. love that oh, cellulite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's so true. I don't need but to love it. Who I am. But it doesn't yeah. define yeah. me. Mm -hmm. And I'm enough with or without it. Yeah. And the size of my pants doesn't tell anybody a, a thing about who I am and how I show up and who I can be for them and how I can teach them and how I love. It's just a piece of my body. And so I got down this rabbit hole myself of being like, okay, after I got rid of thinking my body wasn't good enough, now I wasn't good enough at self-loving myself. I wasn't right. good at body positivity. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, we need to yeah. stop doing all this and putting all this pressure. I was like, no, I, we... I love what you said, I am enough. Yeah. Like, I am enough, I think, is Without the key that. to all of it. Yeah. yeah. And really, what the other thing for me was is that we do put all this emphasis on body positivity, and I think what it comes down to is we need to stop putting so much pressure on our bodies, on our yeah. looks, on those on things. On the emphasis like, of that. Yes. We just need that's to stop a, talking about that's it. That's so exactly about yeah. who we are and what we have to offer. Right. But like our brains and our hearts and our, yeah. But here's the thing, once we're around each other like this, we're like, yeah, yeah. we're going to love ourselves. <laughs> and, and then we're going to walk away. And then what happens is when we're alone at night, when we're by ourselves yes. and we look in the mirror, we have this, there's that negativity that starts to spill over again. It's the doubt. It's self-doubt that creeps in. So I, when you said tactile things, you need things in your life that, you know, whether it's phrases you say, I need people in my life, people that I trust. We call them super friends. Mm -hmm. And a super friend is somebody who will tell me what I need to hear because they love me, whether I want to hear it or not. And I need that feedback, whether it's for my body, whether it's for my soul, whether it's for my mind, I, whether it's for my intentions. Like I need somebody that I trust to say, Heidi, you're doing great. Or 
I think your prior mm. priorities are misaligned, whatever that mm. is. But having that feedback, I I rely on that big mm. time. I can't. And I can't you know that about yourself. I know that about me. That's and a great everybody's point. different. I agree, but there's this other part of it that like really worries me. Because, so Tom and I have been together for, you know, 19 years. I I trust him. I love him. I know, like, he's always going to be there if I need him to. But if I'm just relying on him when I'm struggling, what if he's having a day where he's struggling? What if he's having a day where he's in a bad mood? And he says something in a tone or he says something in a certain way to me. And now because I've so relied on him to help me through those moments and now... I'm then reflecting mm-hmm. how he was reacting to me. So I think it's somewhat dangerous, even though I do it. Yeah. So it's like this kind of yes. like little conflict where I try to tell myself when I'm by myself, I try to coach myself through that. Like I think that the, the negative talk or the voice that we have, the words that we use to ourselves are so powerful. It's way more powerful than someone else saying something to you. I do agree. Like it shouldn't be something where your whole sense of self-worth is based on what other people think. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I can't be each other's super friends. We've realized that about each other. And and most of the time with the people we work with, we say chances are your spouse Mm. or a family member is not your super friend because I might go to Chris and say, does my butt look okay in these jeans? Well, he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. (laughs) You know, it's like if he says yes, I'm going to be like, well, you're my husband, so that's why you're saying it. If he says no, I'm going to be like, what the? Like, why? Why would you? I'm going to be hurt by it, right? So... I, the goal of having super friends that you trust is to build your comp, to help, not mm-hmm. to build, but to help build your confidence. Like when we work with our people, we say, you know, um, LaRonda, you're 450 pounds. Like I can see who you really are. Like you're not a blanket of fat. You're not extra mm-hmm. energy on your body. Like you are a wonderful, beautiful soul and you can accomplish whatever you want. I believe in you. And what it takes for LaRonda to change her life is for somebody to believe in her first so that she then, because when somebody, I grasp on to someone's belief in me. That's just who I am. Chris mm-hmm. believes in himself. Like innately, my husband is like, he believes he can do anything. I am like a little more insecure. And I know it's like, if Chris believes in me or you believe, some, okay, really, really? And so then I will start, if, if there is no belief, you'll never take the All right, steps so necessary to get How about this and what if someone doesn't believe in you? I would not have that person in my life. Okay. I would not. You don't have to cut people out. But yes, boundaries. Because I used to have a lot of people like that in my life. And I still do. But I I used to actually believe what they told me. Mm -hmm. And it was not until I met Chris where I started believing. Because he believed in me what I was capable of. And then I was able to say, okay, this person doesn't believe. Now, instead of you defining me because you don't believe in me, you are now fuel for my fire. Like, you don't believe in me. I have all these people that do. So I'm going to show you and I'm going to show myself what I can actually do. Well, funny you say that. I have a great quote of yours. Um, While I do not feel like I struggle with negativity per se, I do feel like I've spent most of my life struggling with negative self-worth, with feeling like my value exists in others value me or if others value me. Like, I'm pretty because you tell me I'm pretty. I'm talented because you say I'm talented. I'm worthy because you deem me worthy. With that comes the opposite in a dialogue. I'm not pretty because they never told me so. I'm not talented because they didn't comment on it. I'm not worthy because I messed up. I'm not lovable because they forgot to say it. Yeah. Oh, I know. Jesus. So, um, 
how did you get out of that? Because that's like one of the things that I love about doing the show mm-hmm. is yeah. actual tactics. So yes. you felt like that. Yes. What were the things that you had to do? Like, let's say, give me three key points of what you had to do to get yes. yourself out of that. So um, this all happened around the time that I met Chris, believe it or not. And it's also the time where I actually started overcoming my eating disorder mm. um, and my body dysmorphia and understanding like if I'm 10 pounds overweight, I'm not worried anymore because I understand my body and I love it for what it is and I appreciate it, I accept it. Um, it's so simple. So self-love or dignity, whatever we want to call it, is directly tied to your integrity. Du- direct, directly. Our version, our definition of it is doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And I had a very hard time doing what I said I was going to do for myself. And it was directly related for everything Mm. from if I say I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and work out and I hit the snooze button, there's a break in my integrity. If I say I'm going to pursue this dream and I don't because I don't believe in myself, broken integrity. If I tell my kids I'm going to read them a book and I skip a page, broken integrity because they don't know the difference. But I do. Like inside of me, I know that my commitments to other people are much more important than my commitments to myself. And I think as women, Mm. we are such givers and we are so used to being what everybody needs for us. I was so used to being what my husband needed for me, what Chris needed for me. I had no idea who I was myself. Every dream, every thought I had for me automatically put to the back burner. And it's... I I would justify and say, but I'm helping him. But the reality is I was betraying myself. And so you build your integrity. You build it instead of taking on a mountain of commitments at one time. So even if I'm trying to overcome my eating disorder, it's not like, hey, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to go cold turkey. I'm going to stop binging and purging. No, it's going to be baby steps. You know, what's one small thing I can do today to work toward my ultimate goal? Because all those commitments taken on at once, you are setting yourself up for failure. And every single time you fail, it's broken integrity. It's lack of dignity is gone. You hate yourself even more. And before you know it, you don't even believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Anything you say, you're like, well, I'm going to stop making commitments because I'm not going to lose those last 20 pounds. I'm not going to lose five pounds. I'm not going to be happy because I don't believe I can do it. But little tiny baby steps that make and keep these commitments to yourself You build what we call integrity momentum. Mm -hmm. And when you build that momentum and you're like, gosh, if I can actually drink an extra quart of water a day, that's it. I know it's small, but if I can do that every single day, I feel like a champ. What else can I do? Okay, maybe I'm going to add move five minutes a day. Okay, if I can move five minutes, I can. Oh my gosh, like what I say has power. Like my word is now the most powerful thing. So if I say I want to freaking run a company, I want to start my own show, I, want, I know I can do it. Why? Because I don't speak words unless I know I can make them happen. And so that for me was how I began to love myself. And I still struggle. And I think that's key too is knowing where your Achilles heel is. And everybody has one. And if you're aware and you can stay on top of it, and if I can keep the people in my community, my network that I trust, in the loop on what I'm struggling with, they can call me on my bullshit when I'm mm-hmm. acting bullshitty, you know? Yeah. So I have a question I, for you then. Yeah. So what was the first step that you did when to kind of overcome your eating disorder? Yeah, so my problem was not eating, not trusting that when food was to go into my body, um, it, I, I didn't trust it was gonna be 
converted to muscle. I knew it and I could guide everybody else through the process because I was a trainer. But for myself, there was such a fear and such a terrible relationship with food. Um, I could never get there until, so Chris was the person when I started dating him, he was like, okay, you say you want to gain weight. You say you want to put on muscle. You're going to have to trust the process, trust the process, go all in. And so learning what food did for my body, education is huge. People say all the time, you once an addict, always an addict, or once you have an eating disorder, you always have it. I actually disagree. Because I believe for me, the reason I had it was a lack of knowledge. I didn't understand mm. what food could do for my body and what the purpose was and what the side effects were, where when I experienced it, I can't ever unlearn what I know now. Like I know when I eat this, my body reacts this way. I know how proteins converted into muscle. I know all of that stuff now. And I mean, so eye-opening. So it, knowledge was massive for me, but first step is trusting the process and going on and trusting right. somebody besides myself because right. I, I can coach myself into an eating mm -hmm. disorder. I can't mm -hmm. coach myself out. Right. And that's I need to know that. Interesting. Yeah, what I that's love powerful. about how like everything you just said though is how much you use the word trust, yes. which for me is huge when I'm working with somebody. And I always teach people about trust versus control. And I think that really, yes. really speaks, especially when we're talking about disordered eating. Um, and not to disagree with you, but I think sometimes for some folks, when there is a level of control, sometimes too much information breeds more control. Yes. And I think if control mm -hmm. supersedes or overpowers the trust, mm -hmm. I think that's where the problem lies. I think control is something we're always seeking. Um, but I think when you can let go, trust the process, trust that you have all that knowledge, but it's still going to be unique to you and also how you perceive everything. Yeah can really change that. Something I you said, that. Beth, you did a post which I freaking love because I'm all about language. Like, language matters. The words Absolutely. you use around yourself, the words you <laughs> use in general, it matters. It reflects how you feel, what you believe. Mm -hmm. And you did a whole post on it about control versus trust. And I just chose a couple that I loved. Um, so you put, is this food allowed? Right? That's the control part. The trust is, how does this food make me feel? So it's basically talking about like taking away the almost the um, the negativity mm -hmm. of that food and just reframing it in your head. The other one I like is like I can't eat this food. This is my favorite. So I can't eat mm -hmm. this food versus I choose to avoid yes. this food. That is so freaking powerful and that's exactly what I do in life in general. I change the word can't to I choose. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, talk to us about that. Where, how did you actually come up with that in the first place? You've had so many health issues and lots of discoveries. Um, so how did you come up with that and realize that that was so powerful in helping yourself? Yeah, so I discovered in 2005 take a step back and think about what I'm about to say. In 2005, I discovered I had a severe gluten intolerance. And it, in a lot of ways, it taught me so much about what I know now about food, mm -hmm. is I just started to see, not I can't have, I can't have, I can't have. It's like, I immediately made the decision, I immediately made the choice to see and accept and be excited about all of the things I could have. Yeah, gluten is in everything, it sucks, it made everything 10 times harder for me than it did for anybody else. Nobody took it seriously. Restaurants thought I was on a diet. It, it was such a struggle. But when I started to open up not only my awareness, but also just my excitement and my creativity around food to all the things that did exist, it was really um, 
positive, but it was also super mm -hmm. empowering. Mm -hmm. I just made this immediate shift of, fine, these things don't work for me. These make me feel like hot garbage. Mm -hmm. I'm not eating them. I can have all of these things. So that was kind of step number one. And it was a lot of exploration. And then I also think, you know, this is something I experience with my clients. And it, really, this is one of the things I've loved about working with people one-on-one -on -one, is not only some reflections that it gave back to me about my own personal journey, um, but also, you know, we get so deep into our journey as women who teach others, who show up and guide people in their journeys, we start to forget the roots of where we came from. And when I get a new client and we discover they have a severe gluten intolerance or really damaged gut microbiome that needs to be rebuilt, and there are foods that I'm gonna ask them to remove temporarily and I really need for them to be compliant, not because the foods are bad, but because I want for them to feel their best. It's a loss for them. How they do you do that though? I empathize because I've been there, number mm. one. Number two, back to your point, Heidi, is that it's baby steps. I'm very aware because of all the training I've been through and all the clients I've seen, there are people, you know, we all know the Gretchen Rubin four tendencies and we know the abstainers and the moderators. There are people that I say, here's the things we're gonna work towards removing. And I tell them, they're like, let's do it tomorrow. It's all out. I am one of those people. I don't, I don't want a tippy toe. I want to rip the bandaid off. Like I know where this is going. Let's do it. That is not normal. That is not how most people operate. Mm. They need small baby steps. They need a small promise to themselves every day. And it's my job as their partner in all of this to look at what they're going through, look who they are as a human being and a person and what they're struggling with. If there's any disordered eating tendencies, I need to be extra careful yeah. about how we proceed. So for me, it's a lot of really listening, like getting yeah. quiet again to what I used with myself, getting quiet and listening to what are they actually saying to me? Yeah. Are they saying they can't do it because they don't believe in themselves and they don't trust themselves? Or are they saying they can't do it because they are literally physically unable to do all of this at once and we need to work ourselves up to that. Let's actually break <laughs> that down a little bit, right? Because if people are listening, they're like, well, what exactly, what do I actually do? I've heard you ladies, you're all, you know, saying yeah, great right, things, right. but what, what do I actually do? What is that first well, step of mine? Well, I still, I, I think whatever, whatever uh, lane you're gonna go into, stay in that lane. Right? Okay. I think what happens is people try something mm -hmm. And what they do is they, if they don't see results in whatever they want to see right away, mm -hmm. they'll like jump into the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so then you're, you're doing a little bit of this, you're doing a little, you're dabbling and dabbling. To commit. And then you're not, you're not really committing to anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beth, I actually wanted to talk to you in talking about this because I know you hate labels. And um, talk to us about that, why you hate labels. Do you find that they're detrimental to people? I think when we identify with the labels, I've learned is really what I hate. For me, very early on in the process, I was like so anti-label that probably if I would have started a website in 2010 when I did with recipes and called it gluten-free something, mm -hmm. things would be a lot different now because I would have exploded as that exploded. But I refuse because I'm like, the food I'm cooking is healthy, whole, real nutrient-dense food. I give a shit if you can have or not have gluten. A lot of what I'm making works for anybody and yeah. they're really perfectly healthy, easy to make recipes. Um, so I was really anti that because I didn't want to scare off the people that could potentially become a part of my community that would see a label and go, well, I'm not gluten-free, so she's not for me. Mm. And then as paleo came out and Whole30, I was like, nope, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm like extreme rebel to the max. I'm like, no, I know what makes me feel good. Don't tell me not to eat that. Don't tell me about keto. Don't tell me about Whole30. Don't tell me about paleo. And as I evolved the work I'm doing, 
um, I started to realize that it wasn't the labels I hated because I started to see that some of these approaches have very incredible healing and therapeutic um, significance for many, many people. And who they're right for is very different to the individual. What I have a problem with is when we identify with that label. So a lot of the clients I work with are coming to me with intense metabolic dysfunction who've tried calories in, calorie out, and they're not getting results. They're working out, they're moving more, they're eating less, and they're seeing no changes in their blood sugar. Because of what I know on a therapeutic level about how blood sugar works, for some of them we take on, whether temporarily or we shift into just a fat adapted lifestyle, we take on a food as medicine ketogenic approach. I don't think it's right for everybody. There are many people who I will very blanketly out of the gate say, nope, please never eat that way. There are some people who I think it is insanely powerful for. Um, I have a whole podcast episode where I talk about despite three years of eating a ketogenic approach and it being the thing for me that has really changed so many aspects of my life, my energy, how I'm able to manage my ongoing gut uh, issues, uh, autoimmune flares, inflammation. I don't ever walk into a room and say, hi, I'm Beth, I'm keto. Yeah. Or when someone <laughs> yeah. says, what are you about? I never say I'm keto. You don't, I, it's not like an identity thing It's not, you. it's not who I am, because guess what? You want to see me eat on a random night? You wouldn't say my meal's keto, because mm-hmm. I'm adding carbs, because I do high-intensity yeah. workouts. Mm-hmm. Carbs are super important for my high-intensity workouts. It doesn't mean that my body's not in a state of ketosis outside of that meal. It doesn't mean I'm a shitty person, because sometimes I eat rice, and sometimes I don't. It just means that this is what works for my body in this moment. In three weeks, it's probably going to change. Maybe it won't, but it doesn't define who I am as an individual. Mm -hmm. So for me, the labels are less about what the diets are and who they work for and who they're not. That's so specific to the individual. And really, I tell everybody, I don't care how you eat. I care that you care how you eat. I care that you're involved in in the process of it. I care that you have a reason behind why you're doing all this. But when I start to see individuals become so in engulfed in the labels of it, it really goes back to control. Well, I'm the girl that eats keto, and if people see me eating the sweet potato, they're gonna call me out. So what's funny is because when when Chris and I started our show, um, I was actually behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so I had that society, like I saw how society viewed him, and I saw how he cared mm-hmm. about how society viewed him. So mm-hmm. we would be in an airport, nobody knew who I was. Right. People knew who Chris was, and I remember he wanted a bag of potato chips, and he'd be like, you gotta go get me those potato oh, chips, yeah. because people can't see me uh, getting potato chips. And I'd mm-hmm. be, and I would always be like, why can't you just be you? Like, Chris, if you can eat potato chips, and you can look like this. Yeah, exactly. What if the world knew? And they so need like, to know. Though. They and need to know that man is eating potato and chips. That's, like, that's my I point. I knew that I could eat, especially as I started macro counting and fig- like learning how, what I could do with food mm-hmm. and not. I was like, I loved that I could eat a donut every day before I cut gluten out. And I would tell people, I'd be like, what if people knew though? Like, what if they knew that I'm not... Jillian Michaels, I'm not all these people that you, I had this perception that everybody in the public eye that was fit ate chicken, mm-hmm. rice, maybe rice, not not much, uh, vegetables, all this stuff. So for me, I felt like I needed to do that and starve my mm-hmm. body and deprive myself. But then the more I was like, gosh, what if, what if people knew that every single day I can have a treat every day, yeah. I can eat a treat. It keeps me Deprivation is not the name of my game. And if I can eat what I want when I want it, I go by the 80-20 rule. 80% of the foods I eat are real, whole, natural, and healthy. 20% are what I want. And it keeps me, it's the only thing that keeps me from a binge purge Mm -hmm. cycle. Because I, if I deprive, 
the, and every personality is different. So somebody might do better with cut it all out. Yeah. I need to go clean. For me, I can't. And so that eliminates my shame and I don't care. Just listening to each of you talk, especially being in the fitness industry yeah. and you are held to a different standard. Mm, what yeah. I am hearing, and this is what I, I'm just a huge proponent of in general, just for everybody, is autonomy. Like yeah. your approach that you've taken and developed over all of these yep. years is your approach. For me. Your followers shouldn't eat a donut yeah. every day if they feel like hot yep. garbage. What we, yep. as people in the public yep. eye, have a responsibility to do is to share all of what we're doing so people can also learn how they can they find can that autonomy. Yeah. Exactly. And I exactly. They can pick the lane. They That's what I'm saying. Like, I know that I do that 80-20 rule that we've all said I a zillion times. Yeah. I don't do 80-20. That 80-20 so, is going to so be gonna, 80 shitty food and yeah. 20 good food. So I'm in a situation now then that I need your real-time advice. Okay. So for about four years I've struggled with health issues there was the first year I could barely eat my hair was falling out because I couldn't eat because I had leaky gut parasite SIBO candida and everything else under the sun so for the four, past four years it's been very difficult for me to eat sugar like which is why I just can't put on wine people are always yeah. like tell me about your diet I don't like telling people about <laughs> like, my diet no. because yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm limited by what I eat mm -hmm. so it's not out of choice yeah. and mm -hmm. last a couple of Christmases ago, everyone was like, my whole family was around, everyone's eating dessert, and I'm sitting there and I just can't eat. Literally, my dessert was a, a strip of bacon, mm -hmm. because that's all I could mm -hmm. eat. I could only eat protein yeah. and fats. And so I told myself, and I was so upset, like emotionally, I was so distraught that everybody was enjoying yeah. their Christmas. Everyone was really, you know, indulging, and I couldn't. And in that moment, I told myself, Lisa, all those times when you were younger, you worried about the ice cream, you worried about putting on weight, what I would freaking give right now to not, to give me cake, give me all, like know. lovely food, like just enjoy this and not care about my weight. Yeah. And this year, I was able to eat some stuff. Oh. And so I had the chef make paleo foods, and it was like all like coconut sugar and stuff like that. And he brings it over, and I'm like, I'm going to try some stuff. And I ate it, and the next day I was fine. <gasps> so I ate more. Next day I was fine. So here I am, and every day I'm like, you told yourself you wouldn't worry about your weight. You told yourself that you would enjoy your Christmas. So I'm literally like, I'm, I'm trying to monitor my stomach. So I'm like, how are you feeling? Yeah. Make sure that you talk to your stomach. Make sure that you're... And I was fine, and I was just eating. Well, you eat like that for two weeks. Your pants... Exactly. So now yeah. my pants are... But now I'm in this like weird place. So you where know I'm you like, can eat the food. I can eat the like... foods. I don't want to deprive myself, but look, eating that much coconut sugar isn't good for you. So then there's that healthy side yeah. of it. But then there's that part of me as an identity mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't normally eat this food. So it's kind of yeah. weird that now my identity is changing. This, right. So I'm actually in real time, which is why I've actually been so excited, guys, right. to film this episode with these girls. Because I'm in this like weird predicament. I'm forcing myself to not listen to the negative talk about the fact that my pants are a little tight. Because it's so funny, like whatever goes in, in your head, like how you think, it's so funny how like what we think in our head is like so different than what other people, when they look, when you're telling that story, like all I'm thinking about you is like, oh my God, she's like the tiniest like little, <laughs> you know, doll I've ever seen. You could just throw but that's her in interesting your because right now I, and you don't feel, feel it. I feel like little squishy that's what i'm saying it's interesting like in for you like how you yeah. feel about yourself is so different than what, how other yeah. people will perceive you but how you feel about yourself is what dictates how you and exactly and, and that, how you feel and how you 
and that's the most important part. Yeah, it is. Like, and also everything is relative, like to you because you've been living a, a, in a certain way for so long. The way you feel now is so different than how you felt. Yeah. So it's all relative to where you've been. The thing right? is now I'm bad, and I love to know your thoughts because you've really suffered with the same things, Beth. Is I. It's not even just about the squidginess, because I'm like, okay, my pants are tight, like my butt's filled out, so Tom likes it. But I started to notice that I was getting, um, my body temperature started to rise. So I wear an aura ring, and when I sleep, my sleep, okay. since I've been eating mm. coconut mm. sugar and coconut flour and like cookies and you know stuff like that, my body temperature is like up three degrees. Wow. I'm sweating way more than I normally wow. do. My brain fog has like oh, wow. quadrupled because I still suffer from a little brain yeah. fog in a way. And I'm freaking tired all the time. I mean, I think that's I, your answer. I know. But then there's a <laughs> yeah, conflict exactly. between the fact that like, but I can now eat it. But this is what I think then, is that you've had that experience, right? So number one, I'm assuming you have zero regrets having that experience. Number yeah. two, for me, I think we should limit if we're turning to food to placate certain emotions that we're not managing on some yeah. baseline level. I think that's where we get into problems. You're Greek, like I am. Food is family, food is community, food is emotion, food is tradition. I struggled with that myself where I got to a certain level of managing my leaky gut, beating a parasite, dysbiotic bacteria, constant bloating and gas and feeling like just crap all the time. I got to that level and I did very aggressive, severe things because I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and it was all worth it to mm -hmm. me to do that. And then I was like, how do I find the sustainability and the balance to maintain this level of health that is the most important thing to me, but still live a life where I'm not mm -hmm. having food FOMO, where I'm enjoying experiences and trips and family and foods that taste so good. And for me, I joke about being an abstainer because it's really easy for me. I like some amount of, as, while I'm a rebel, I do like some level of rules. It helps me follow something. Um, I've also learned a lot about myself getting back to listening to my body and listening to the whispers. I've learned part of why I love being an abstainer is that control. When I started to learn that I could trust myself to have these experiences, these moments, the coconut sugar paleo treats that maybe after four servings start to bloat, but one or two, um, provide me with a really joyful experience. Sugar mm. and carbs make us happy. Like there are neurotransmitters created in your gut when you eat foods that make you happy. Like we're not bad people because these foods make us happy. We're human beings that have things going on. So for me, it's about finding that balance. And sometimes we have to go to the one extreme to the other to be like, okay, this wasn't working and it's not sustainable. Neither is gorging myself on every paleo treat that I can get my hands on. Well, there's gotta be a middle road. And then the other thing I was gonna offer as like a, an actual tip or, or something you can take in, and this is something I use with my clients, going back to what do you want? It sounds like you want to not feel like shit. Yeah. That's number one for you. More than a little bit of extra weight on your body is that's most important. Then it's about, is it worth it? Does that food help me to continue to feel like my best? If the answer is yes, but only one, then yes, but only one. If the answer is no, it's not worth it, but you still eat it, eat it, know there's going to be consequences and leave it at that without any significant shame or feelings well, of guilt. This, I think so like if I want to eat, like this happened like a couple, I, someone made these like amazing gluten-free muffins or whatever. It doesn't matter if they're gluten-free or not. If you yeah. eat 11 of them, yeah, <laughs> you're going to feel like a dumpster yeah, fire. You feel, <laughs> just like shit. No, but seriously, like, oh yeah, one would be fun. You said, oh, yeah. if you have one or two or 10 or 20. Yeah. Like, so what yeah. I did, I had like a, like, I was like, the guy's like, oh, he's like, I made these blueberry pumpkin gluten-free free muffins and I was 
I was like, oh shit, like I knew this was a bad <laughs> moment. That or french fries, I'm screwed. So I was like, okay, I'm, I said to him, I'm only going to have, this time, I'm only going to have one. Well, that was stupid because I know myself. That one, I ate the entire, the whole tray. He comes back. He's like, where's all the muffins for everyone else? <laughs> You're like, so what muffins? There were no muffins. Exactly. So my point is, the per- knowing your personality type, I think is so crucial mm-hmm. in picking any of this stuff mm-hmm. because you 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 kid yourself like mm-hmm. i i knew that that was not that was not that was going to happen if i even had right. one be like, but this time i can do but it but this time and i think with your situation and anybody out there that's dealing with the same thing i think you have to give yourself permission it's really important yeah. that we give ourselves permission mm-hmm. to avoid shame guilt whatever and say okay i'm going to spend 2 months or a month figuring out what balance works best mm-hmm. for me and you know going in okay, I'm going to have a week or a couple days where I'm brain foggy and I'm feeling like crap, but this is a test. Like this yep. is for me to How figure far out is it? what works mm. for me. And then when somebody else is asking, it's like, hey, here's my balance. Here's yep. how I found it. Here's how you can find it too. And, and I, that I think, it changes. Yeah, I think that's what's important to know too, is that it changes all the time. Well, I, also, I, think, that, I think what's really important to know is when people, whoever's, whoever's watching this, is that don't look at someone and think that the, the grass is always greener yeah. on the other side, yeah, yeah. right? Because just because it works for you, yeah. Heidi, and you can have a donut like Lisa said or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else can, right? People think, oh, if I just worked out, like if I just did that squat and I just ate like that and I just did that, then that would be how I would look. But like, I think like, again, this comes back to the first thing we said on this this show was like, no, that is not the thing. Like you, everybody is so different and what works for one person does not work for the other person. And you have to be realistic with what your baseline is. Yeah. So that's really like why it's so important to keep doing these episodes, to have you guys on and really discuss it. And just like from our own experiences, and it is going to be an evolution, right? Like mm-hmm. in a year, in two years, in three years, we're going to be talking about other like different things, new discoveries. So oh, yeah. um, before we leave, though, I want to hear what your guys' superpower is and where can they find you? Let's start with you, Heidi. Okay. I believe my superpower is um, it's vulnerability. I think I, and, and it, it's, it's our superpowers are also our greatest weakness sometimes too, mm-hmm. but I, I have a tendency mm-hmm. to be vulnerable, which then gives people courage to be vulnerable in themselves. And I believe vulnerability is what heals. Um, and where can they find me? Yeah. <laughs> so you can find me at Real Heidi Powell on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then my blog is HeidiPowell.net. And then we have, you know, our all-inclusive app is the Transform app. Transform with Chris and Heidi. Download it. Get some guns. Awesome. Over to you, Beth. I think it's probably for me, I would say it's always changing. I would f- say for me right now, it's come up a lot in this episode. It comes up a lot in the work I'm doing would be trust, mm-hmm. um, self-trust and trust in others. I think it's something that we often forget how important it is and it's something that we forget to look to. And I think because I spent so much time in that state of control, not only with myself, but with others, like why, even as a practitioner, why aren't you doing these things and giving the answer? Now I'm trusting people to know that they have a sense of autonomy and if I just walk alongside them, they'll give me the answers. So trust for me, I think is my superpower right now. Um, You can find me, my website is tastyummies.com. I have a podcast called the Between Meals Podcast where we talk about a little bit of food, but I love to talk about all the stuff between our meals that matters so much to our health and our mind and our body and our spirit. Um, and then on social media, it's just at Tasty Yummies on all the things. Awesome. Jen. 
I think compassion. Mm -hmm. I think compassion is mm -hmm. really important. And I think that that's really a, a, a crux of really where I, like, like vulnerability. I think it's very important to understand and feel for other people. Um, to make true connection. I mean, I may not be in the health space of what superpower is, but I think in life, I think that's really um, done me well in life, to feel and to have compassion for others. I love that. Awesome. And where can people find you? Oh, at The Real Jen Cohen, they can find me um, on Instagram or uh, Facebook, uh, or my new po and my podcast. I was going to say new, but it's not new anymore, Habits and Hustle. And you can find that podcast on anything from iTunes, Spotify, Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, yeah, so come listen. Guys, guys, I hope that this episode was as powerful for you as it was for me. Um, if you want to go back, rewatch it, write down all the tips that these guys gave because they were so powerful. And like I said, guys, this is an evolution. It is a, um, a um, real-time look and discovery of the new things and the things that we've tried and worked and not worked. So go back, rewatch this episode. And if it did bring you value, guys, please, please do subscribe. Click that button and share it with your friends. Be a woman of impact and share it and be impactful on other people as well. And if um, you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out.